0: Welcome to the COO Roundtable, powered by PFI Advisors. Here's your host, Matt Sonnen.
1: Welcome back, everyone, to Episode 8 of the COO Roundtable. Um, Today, we're trying something a bit different. For the first time in our podcast, very long history of seven whopping episodes. (laughs) Uh, We do not have an RIA COO joining us. Uh, we do, however, have a few recovering COOs, so I think we, we do have our bases covered, but my guests today are not actively sitting inside an RIA. Uh, David Cantor and Scott Slater are both leaders at Fidelity Clearing and Custody Solutions. Both have unique views into the RIA, into RAs of all sizes across the industry, and both can provide deep perspective into the role of the COO and how our industry is slowly waking up to the importance of this role within, within RAs. And for that reason, I'm very excited to welcome David and Scott. Uh, Guys, thank you for being here today.
0: Well, thanks for having us, uh, Matt. Real pleasure to be here.
1: Awesome. Yes, thank you very much. I look forward to the discussion. Cool. Well, I like to start each episode uh, hearing people's backstories. I do a a lot of work on college campuses speaking with graduating seniors who are scared to death that they haven't figured out their entire lives yet. (laughs) Uh, And I always try to Calm them down and say that most of the successful people that I know, while they've definitely worked hard to get where they are today, um, a lot of it has been dumb luck. When they look back at their careers and see the various zigs and zags throughout throughout their uh, their career, so I always really enjoy this part of the podcast. So I'm going to go to you first, David. Uh, you currently are heading the RIA segment for Fidelity. Uh, and prior to that, I know you were in practice management. That's that's where I met you when I was part of the uh, the operations steering committee uh, back in my Luminous Capital days. Um, can you just tell us a little bit of how you arrived at your at your current role?
0: Sure, Matt. And that's right. We did meet,
1: you know, way back when you were at Luminous. and that I think was the first
0: time we met was probably close to ten years ago. Yep. Um, so, well, I uh, you know I, I've told this story before, but I'm sort of the accidental. Uh, advisor custody head. Uh, I started my career as a lawyer, and actually, I started my career uh, as a lawyer in Northern California, helping to form RAs. And since that time, I've I've held just about every role um, in the uh, advisor slash service provider space, except as a true advisor. Uh, as you know, I've had experience in operations, both on the broker dealer side and the RA side. Um, but I like to think of myself as a uh, you know, having the advisory uh, background because as a lawyer, you're you're a consultant and you consult with clients to achieve better outcomes. So I've been doing this 25 years. In the past two and a half, I've been heading up the RAA business at Fidelity, and 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 it's just a joy. It's a pleasure.
1: Awesome. And Scott, your official title is Vice President, Practice Management and Consulting, but through the uh, the podcast that you do and the M and A reports that you're so deeply involved with that that Fidelity puts out. Within PFI, uh, we refer to you as the M and A guy. <laughs> um, so, how did you how did you wake up to your uh, to your current role today? Well, I guess the short answer to that is uh,
2: uh, David Cantor encouraged me to uh, to help him out in this area when we began the, what we call the M and A Leaders Forum with a lot of the industry leaders who are doing acquisitions in in the space uh, about four years ago, and it's it's kind of built from that. And I think really this has been such a a strategic issue, and I'm drawn to those kind of issues. It's such a strategic issue for our industry right now, and in what's shaping it both now and I think what's going to happen in the in the years ahead. Um, you know, earlier in my career, uh, I, I really I began in, in in consumer products in marketing. So, and, and I think in a lot in brand, you know, I worked at General Mills. I worked on brands like Cheerios and Betty Crocker and Yoplait and things like that. And there, you really learn to think about why does somebody need your product and how are you positioning it. And quite frankly, that's carried me through my entire career and really turned turns to understanding um, that behavior. And that's what I really try to help firms understand. And I think M&A becomes just one more means to make that happen, um, you know, for firms and helping to understand uh why their clients um need them and where how does MA help them make that happen? So that's that's kinda of
1: how I look at it. No, that's perfect. And no, we're we're definitely gonna touch on that. Um but first um you both may or may not know, uh, the, our mission statement here at PFI Advisors is to further evolve the RI industry from a collection of practices to businesses, and to be a continued voice in validating the industry as a legitimate landing spot for billion-dollar teams and their clients. And I wrote that mission statement myself. <laughs> we didn't have a, a marketing firm write it for us. I, I am very passionate about the evolution of our industry Historically, even the largest RIAs were really nothing more than a few advisors sharing a logo, but they were running very different businesses within their practice. And I believe that we're we're just starting now to see RIAs slowly evolving into true enterprises. They're bringing in professional management, someone who's not responsible for business development, but whose primary role is to simply run the business from a people, process, technology perspective. Um, And and just being the, 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 by doing that, they're allowing the advisors to get out of the minutiae of running a, a business on a day-to-day perspective. And that's really the, the, the guts of this entire podcast is shining a light on those individuals that are in the trenches every day leading this evolution within our, within our industry. Um, so, Scott, I'll go to you. Um, can you speak to this evolution and the role the, the COO is playing in it?
2: Sure. I've worked with firms over the last dozen years that I've been in the, the RAA um, custody Space and really helping firms as a business consultant, uh, you know, increasingly firms start to determine when do I need this kind of professional help and, and, uh, and how do we use them and, what, and what's the role? What's, why is it important? And I, more and more I, I see firms uh, looking for this kind of help. I remember a book that I read early on that probably many of our listeners are familiar with by Michael Gerber called The E-Myth. Uh, and in that book, they talk about how a, a, you know an entrepreneurial business starts to grow, and then people start to want to find that they're, they're strained from a capacity standpoint. So then they start to hire certain functions, and this is one of those key functions. But I think the key is um, that a COO needs to have the both the authority and the clarity around what their role is um, to be able to drive that forward and what they're taking off the plate of others uh, to create a more stable business. But that's what I think where the you know the professionalization of this industry that you're talking about is, is so key, and I think they can bring so much leverage to the rest of the organization that allows them to stabilize and start growing again. So the COO is just a is, is really a critical function.
1: Yeah, we. Uh... E Myth, I'd love that book. Um we've talked about traction, um sort of a similar theme book. Uh we've we've had we've had a few people bring up traction on, on previous podcasts. We'll we'll definitely put a link to E Myth um in the notes for, for this for this uh interview. Um so David give give us your thoughts on this this evolution within the industry that we're seeing.
0: Yeah, I and you know, Matt, first of all, let me just congratulate you again on on your firm, the success you've had, and actually your your mission, your objective as you laid it out to us. Um, I think the work that your firm do, does is critically important. And uh, it's just phenomenal to have your you and your business in our ecosystem. Because as you know, I get calls all the time from firms who are either looking for a COO or need the kind of help that your firm provides. And I think that as firms evolve um, in their in their business development arc for lack of a better phrase, uh, or as they you know go through the maturation process, they realize they need help, but they don't exactly know what kind of help they need and oftentimes they'll say, "I need a chief operations officer or chief operating officer," but not really have a fully you know fleshed out functional responsibility or or, or job description so I think that, you know, arriving at this inflection point is is, is critical for firms, and it, it goes to the theme that we like to say here at Fidelity is, you know, you, you have to declare a major. Are you going to be a professionalized and growing business, or are you going to sort of just kind of chug along, in, in the best case, in the worst case, limp along? So, uh I think it's a critical introspection point and a critical maturation decision, but one that should be taken, you know, quite thoughtfully. And and leveraging, you know, your firm to make that diagnostic and to help that decision-making is, is one critical path. And, and certainly, you know, we're here to lean in as well.
1: Yes, thank you. Thank
0: you for that. You know, that.
2: if I could, too, I would add one. Yeah, go ahead, Scott. Let, let me add one more thing to that, too. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, that I, to, to David's point uh, and to my earlier comments, A COO, I think, uh, a lot of times I think as firms are looking to do this, they're looking to, they have a problem they're trying to solve, and so they're trying to put a function in place, and to David's point, they may not have fully thought through what they want that role to do, and that's why it's so critical. You know, in the book I mentioned earlier, uh, I think one of the things they, they talk about in there is it's, you know, delegation is key, but it's not abdication. You still have to manage it and pay attention to it, and really think through what do you want this individual to do, and how much authority are you giving them? And I'm sure we're going to get into that further in the in the discussion today. But it's it's really important that it's clear why you're doing it and what you want them to accomplish um, to make it successful. And we see a lot of firms that are beginning to really make that happen.
1: Yeah, I um, you know, I'm a i, I made the joke in the beginning. I'm a recovering COO, and so I gravitate towards that title. It's, it's some owners, business owners, are, are it scares them. They go, oof, that sounds really expensive. That's an expensive hire. So I say, well, call them whatever you want, director of operations, whatever title you want to give this person. But it's just, it's in my mind, it's so critical to have somebody there whose primary job is not business development and isn't just thinking about clients, uh, you know, going to get clients, prospects, etc. But really the running of the business. Um, so we we, I gravitate towards COO, but it, it doesn't it, it can you call this person anything you want. Just just make sure you have them within your organization. <laughs> um, so let me ask you guys this one: um, We hear that the the role of the custodian within the RIA ecosystem is is becoming commoditized. Uh, commissions and fees on products are going to zero, is what everybody's worried about, um, and, and and it's getting harder and harder for custodians to distinguish themselves from one another. Um, earlier, I mentioned Fidelity's operations steering committee. Um, so, David, can you can you speak to how Fidelity works with RAs beyond simply providing custodial services? How, how do you help RAs think through how they run their businesses? Sure.
0: <clears throat> and uh, before I do that, Matt, since Scott mentioned uh, the Emyth book and you talked about traction, mm-hmm. I think for any RAA firm that is is, you know, thinking about just their business generally or the, you know, the COO paradigm, I'll recommend a, a podcast that I love. Um, you know, right after your podcast, <laughs> um, my favorite podcast is is one called Startup, um, and it talks about. Uh, it's a really fascinating podcast. It's available on iTunes. It's produced by Gimlet Media, um, but you know, I think too often we think of the wealth management or the RIA business in a vacuum, but you know, sort of fail to appreciate and recognize that their business challenges faced by all, all businesses. And, and I think startup has just some really good, well-tested lessons that we can all learn from. Um, so, so shifting gears, um, you know, for our business, and, and you're right, this RA ecosystem has become so complex and, and, and grown so much. Uh, we, we're focused on four outward areas to support the advisory profession, including our clients and prospects. So let me tell you what they are. We uh, want to help our firms grow. And, and that, that's not always an easy uh, solution, but, um, you know, we're here to help through consulting, through insights, through programs, um, you know, in, including consulting on whether you need a COO because that, making that decision and freeing up time from some of the business principles so that they can go out and attract business and not have to worry about every single day-to-day operational task. Uh, that can be a key driver. So growth is an imperative. Secondly, we want to help our firms create an exceptional and differentiated client experience, and in particular, help them with a digital experience, because we think in the future, having that digital experience combined with the human touch is, is the imperative. Third, Matt, and this is uh, where you know I'd be happy to go into greater depth, is we want to be wa- that wise counsel to our clients and prospects in understanding and navigating this increasingly complex and evolved RAA ecosystem. Uh, maybe I, if you'll allow me, I'll come back to that. So the ecosystem and being that counsel is, is, is really critical for us. And fourth, we're here to advocate for the profession, for our advisors, uh, for the REA category as a whole uh in washington in the states with the legislators and the regulators um you know so those are our four outwardly facing missions and you know at the right time matt you know and it could be now i, I you're, you're our guide um you're our sherpa if you will um you know i, I could talk more about the ecosystem but I'll, I'll pause right now for a moment
1: well i'll, I'll we'll come back to um, let me jump to scott and then we'll come back to you to talk about the the ecosystem obviously uh pfi um we think about that ecosystem all the time. So um, Scott, uh, as a member of the practice management and consulting group, what other initiatives uh, does fidelity have in this, in this area? Yeah, we've actually brought
2: a a lot to it because to to David's point, a lot of what firms are turning to us, us, whether business challenges that are keeping them from growing or, you know, being more productive and they're looking for a lot of that help. I would say some of the specifics in addition, certainly we do consulting. I, I mean, I do a lot of, Uh, have a lot of conversations uh, helping firms think through more specifically right now their M&A strategy. But we also have a program that we call the e-learning exchange, um, which I think enables uh, both principals of firms and frankly, some of their advisors to to do a combination of online learning and coaching uh, to help them to do a better job of dealing with some of the challenges they have. And they can do it very, they don't have to do a a raft of, of courses, but they can choose selectively and really focus on the issues they need to develop. Um, you know, how to grow more effectively, how to become more, uh, you, you know, use technology more effectively, how to deal with client segmentation, um, and some of those kind of common problems that every firm, and frankly, every business going through going through growth is going to go through those kind of issues. So eLearning Exchange is one. Uh, we also provide a, a platform that we call Consult Space where um, to David's point about the ecosystem, it really enables us to help, uh, guide, um, firms that have a specific problem they want to solve. Maybe they have a marketing issue and they're looking for certain, uh, types of help. And we, well, we'll provide a level of help on a lot of that. We can also steer them to, uh, some proven players out there to help them with, with different challenges. And I think one of the most interesting, interesting things we do is something think like David was instrumental in developing over the years, which we, these, We've got these uh, think-tank days where we'll take on a problem that we're hearing from clients. Like, for instance, we just recently did one on uh, the whole challenge of finding talent um, and how do we uh, get advisors and and develop advisors and really retain them, uh, or what we're seeing with uh, alternative pricing uh, models. We did a dedicated day for each of those topics um, just this, this spring uh that really helps advisors and clients really think through uh some of those challenges and then we try to help bring that to uh that learning to others in the industry uh, other advisors in the industry um, to help them really navigate uh the challenges and help them to think you know going forward uh so it's it's elements like that and as well as uh, for for many of our firms we'll do some deeper consulting to really help them move forward um and i would say the bottom line is a lot of times within consulting it's very easy to think about it as the technical problem. I think that's the consulting industry in, in, uh, in general tends to go there. But there's a people problem to it, too, a management challenge. And a lot of times it's coaching to help people really think through how do we take this technical solution and actually get it to work? How do we create that kind of change in our organization? So um, a lot of that, even our G2 Institute and a number of other things that we've done that really help to Uh, educate the next generation of leadership. Um, We're really focused on the issues that help bring to life the things that David's talking about around growth and creating an an exceptional client experience
1: um, for their end clients. Yeah, I think uh, we, you know...
0: And if I could jump
1: in... Yeah, go ahead,
0: um, (laughs) John. Sorry to interrupt. Just your question was, you know, what are we up to in practice management and the initiatives? Um, I tell you, I ask every advisory firm, every business. What's your unfair advantage? And, you know, Scott's too modest to say it himself, but Scott Slater is quite frankly, one of our unfair advantages, Hmm. his skill, his focus on M&A and other initiatives. So, you know, I guess as, as folks walk away from listening to this podcast, the question I would pose is, does, um, you know, thinking about the COO paradigm in your firm and how that resource is used, um, how does that help foster your unfair advantage?
1: Yeah, and and w- w- another thing Scott mentioned is is so near and dear to the COOs day to day challenges is is adoption within your organization, right? You can you can have the technology in place, but if no, if no one's using it or or they're using it improperly, it's not doing you a, a lot of good. So yeah, that whole technology versus people uh, issue, um, a, a lot of people are are struggling with that one. And uh, I'll say you you mentioned the think tank day. I I was. Uh, I was lucky enough to be part of that, um, that talent one. And th- that was a bunch of COOs were in the room that day that th- those, those think tank days that you guys put together are, are fantastic.
2: Yeah. And, and, you know, I really do think too, what you're talking about here with a lot of this and probably on most of your podcasts, you know, the role of the COO. Yeah, sure. They're supposed to come up with technical solutions, but ultimately they, you know, if, in the, in their most successful, um, mode they are a change agent and how yep. do you create effectively create a pace of change in an organization to make it a better performing organization and that's you know that's not easy to do and i think that's a big part of what uh, what we're talking
0: about
1: absolutely uh, david uh, i'll throw it back to you. do you want to go go through uh ecosystem
0: sure i'd be pleased to um, <clears throat> so th- th- this is the way i like to frame it cuz i i've been in this space for 25 years now and if you go back 25 years, if you wanted to start an, an advisory firm, you really only needed three parties to that equation. You needed an advisor. You probably needed a lawyer or a compliance consultant to help you file your ADV. And then you needed a place to, um, you know, safekeep the assets, to custody the assets that, that hopefully had a platform that would enable you to do it you know, seamlessly. That's what how Platforms like Schwab and Fidelity mm-hmm. and TD and Pershing were built. Um, and, and if you were really lucky, you had a client or two. Um, but then flash forward, you know, over the years, you certainly had an, a host of technology solutions from portfolio accounting systems to, to, um, to financial planning modules to modeling and rebalancing. And then platforms to help advisors began to emerge like InvestNet, like Orion, like um, uh, uh, Black Diamond Advent. and But but it continues with other outsourced providers, whether it's the TAMP space, um, whether it's the consulting space. I mean, clearly, PFI is, is, is a big part of this. Um, uh, but, you know, capital providers have entered the space, strategic aggregator firms, and it's not just the focus the Hightower, um, and the United Capital anymore. And I, we might talk about United Capital later, but there are actually, you know, by our count, at least 25 national RAA firms. There's uh, probably 30 um, legitimate RAA firms that are focused on acquisition, maybe more. And um, my favorite stat that I like to cite, and you've probably heard me say it before, Matt, is in 2018 alone, there were four private equity deals not in the wealth management space, because there were far more than that, but in the compliance consulting to the wealth management yeah. space. So compliance consulting firms were invested in by private equity. So that's why we think it's our job to help um, our clients understand this ecosystem and navigate it. And, and the great thing about it is um, there's so much choice now for advisory firms and so many ways to get help that you no longer really have to do it yourself. Uh, and quite frankly, this is a role that the COO can play at the firm because you have to evaluate these resources and decide what, what you're going to do to build, buyer or partner yep. um, for your own firm. So that, that's what we're talking about, quite frankly. And the COO, I think, plays such an integral role in evaluating and understanding the ecosystem.
1: Yeah, we, we talk about a lot. No, there's
0: a flip uh, side
2: uh,
1: to that. Go ahead, Scott. There's a
2: flip <clears> side, <throat> side to that. I was going to say there's a flip side to that. that uh, expansion of choice is that uh, it means it's all that much more harder to make decisions. As I often say it's like going to Home Depot on Saturday morning with no plan and, and just getting overwhelmed with the choices there and then starting to buy tools that are on sale just because you think you might need them someday. Uh, you really need somebody to help you navigate it. And I do think, to David's point, a, a, a COO can be the one who is narrowing down the the options based on you know strategic objectives and can help. Move things forward,
1: um, because uh, I think I do think all that choice keeps people sometimes from making decisions. That's exactly where I was going. You use the Home Depot analogy. I always use a cereal aisle analogy. If you go into the <laughs> cereal aisle and there's. 47 boxes of cereal there's there's psychological studies that say more often than not the person just walks away (laughs) and with no cereal at all because i just can't this is too overwhelming and that's um choice is good to a certain point um and it's great that the industry is evolving and we have so many service providers out there but that is in, in i've joked before that that helping luminous capital get started uh, 11 12 years ago in some ways was easier because there weren't as many choices to, to choose from um, it's it's in some ways it's it's uh, even harder today just because there were so many um, uh, people to, yeah. to, to, so many vendors technologies etc to to navigate that's great so uh, we talked about it earlier so let's let's tackle m um, a it's such a big part of our industry. Um, Scott I've told you many times uh, all of us at PFI are big fans of 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 your podcast, Future Ready Through m and And I just listened, you, you just started your second season. I listened to your latest interview with Adam Bierenbaum from Buckingham. And uh, that was a great episode. You warned RIAs about the addiction to inorganic growth and the high that RIA, owner, RIA owners feel uh, when they complete another transaction. They get all the industry headlines from it um, and it, and it def- definitely can be an, an addiction. Um, but you had a great conversation about needing to understand why you're looking to make an acquisition and really understanding what you're hoping to get out of that merger uh, with, an, with another firm. And we've made similar warnings to RA buyers, um, stating that before you enter the M&A arena, you really need to build out your messaging as to why an advisor would wanna join you and really be prepared to illustrate how your, your firm's infrastructure uh, is gonna allow that advisor to grow more quickly as part of your larger organization than, than continuing to do it on their own. Um, and we've made the case many times on this podcast uh, that the best person, there's no better person within the RA to make that presentation about the buyer's uh, infrastructure and capabilities than the COO. Uh, so Scott, you've 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 done more work around M&A than anybody at Fidelity. What what is your take on the buyer's need, or what do buyers need to do in order to be successful? And and how does the COO play a part in that?
2: Uh, well. It's a great question. I think the the primary thing I would say to your point is, frankly, it goes back to even my marketing days at General Mills. Why does somebody need your product? Mm -hmm. So ultimately, it's the same thing that RAAs are thinking about when they're trying to bring on new clients. Why should they choose your firm uh, to bring their wealth management business to? And in this case, the RAA who wants to be a buyer needs to think about, why does an advisor need you? There are more options today, which is, I think, a great thing. There are more options today. For sellers you um, know a, truly a seller's market than ever mm-hmm. but that means you got to figure out um, and as a seller what do you really want so from a buyer standpoint they have to be the one to position themselves to say this is why my platform is better for you or we're going to solve this issue around helping you grow um, and here's how we do it and you got to be specific um, you know everybody's got a tech stack but why is the the approach that you have it's more than just the technology it's the it's the process and service platform. And I would say one that's a big one is what is the culture going to be like? Independence is a lot of what's built this industry so rapidly. And I think many times that people hesitate to do transactions to sell uh, because they don't want to give up their independence. So how are you going to sustain that? And I do find that a lot of, these, uh, a lot of the largest acquirers today are very attentive to how do we bring on people to keep them here and engage them um, and so I think that's a big part of it. So that means you really got to get sharp on why should someone come to your firm and be on your platform and how are you going to actually help them be in a better environment than they were before?
1: Yeah. And, and we've talked a lot about, we, 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 we've coined it advisor pitch versus, uh, client pitch. And, and a lot of advisors, you know, Hey, I've been in this industry for 20 plus years. I'm really good at, at going out and getting clients and clients to trust me and to understand, uh, how we can serve them. And then they take that same presentation deck that they've been using for 20 years and they try to use that with advisors. And I say, no, no, it's a totally different pitch. You're really selling the capabilities of the firm that the infrastructure, uh, the things that the, you know, the, all the behind the scenes, things that clients aren't going to care about. You really need to get into the weeds and talk about all of that. When you're trying to attract advisors to the, to the organization, as opposed to end clients, it's a very different, uh, a different presentation. Um, let me ask you, so, um, Again, we we talk to the buyers and say you really need to clean things up and and spend a lot of time and and energy uh, making sure you have a robust infrastructure. What is your opinion on the seller? How much time, energy, money should they be spending before they put out the for sale sign? How much time should they be spending on their infrastructure or should they just leave it? uh, because a buyer might be more attracted to, Ooh, there's stuff we can fix here. <laughs> um, um, so what, what is your advice to the sellers and just in terms of, of, of the infrastructure?
2: Well, I'm going to give you a good, uh, having been a long time, uh, business consultant, I'm going to give you a good consultant answer. It depends. <laughs> uh, but here's how I would, uh, be more specific to that. Um, you know, I think if, if someone is, has a business and their they're, their own motive. I think look to your motivation of why are you sell it. If you're selling because you're really at a point of succession and you're planning to exit pretty quickly, um, you know, within a, a year, year and a half, or, or two years or less, and, and you're way behind on up keeping up to date on your uh, technology stack and some of your processes and so on, I wouldn't plan spend a lot of energy there. But if you're trying to really... Position yourself to be uh, attractive to some of the better acquirers because they're very selective. Uh, you might want to do some work to um, do some fundamental cleanup of your business. Uh, do a better job of integrating the technology that you have. Uh, make sure that you, know, you are more digital, to David's earlier point, mm-hmm. I, I would say is a big part of it. Make sure there's some consistency in terms of what the client experience is. And cause some of those things you can do fairly quickly, I think, to, to make that better. Um, but it, that I wouldn't be spending huge amounts of capital when I think the opportunity now is to find a partner who can really help you do it. Yep. I think it does tie, it does tie back to David's comments about the ecosystem that really there are people out there and and uh, party, third parties out there who can help you make that change more effectively than you're just trying to do it all yourself.
1: Yep, I think that's right. Uh, okay, David, I have a trick question for you. <laughs> uh, in your opinion, should an, an should an RIA focus more on profit or growth?
0: Well, that's a thank you for the trick question. <laughs> um, let me, uh, uh, I, you know, it's it's interesting, and, and I'll, I'll harken back to the, my comment about startup. Uh, my view is that these are consulting based businesses, and you know the it, the the ability to grow and make profits is in some ways constrained by the the people because you have people who are serving clients and you have you know naturally ingrained capacity issues. So um, I'm going to sort of say th- this is, this question is what I'll call a hip bone connected to the leg bone mm-hmm. uh, question because if you want to grow, you need to have you know everybody in the right roles to help foster the team mission. And a COO plays a very important yeah. part to that. Um, but sure. you need to be leveraging technology. You need to have the right skills for your advisors. And what's really sort of not been, you know, well-achieved in this business is, you know, getting more capacity for advisors uh, through the use of technology. So, you know, my, my, my general rule is these are pretty capital-light, people-intensive businesses Um, so, you know, there's not a lot of capital investment that you put into the business unless, uh, you know, you're sacrificing growth because you're, you know, going to apply capital toward M&A. Uh, so it is a trick question. Uh, but I, I, I put in the caveat that, you know, again, these are consulting driven businesses. I'll put in one plug for a firm out there that is an emerging firm that I think, um, is, is an interesting, uh, you know, parable, for the notion of uh, do you sacrifice uh, profits for growth? There's a firm called Facet Wealth, F-A-C-E-T, that has uh, attracted quite a lot of venture capital money. They've built um, some interesting technology, and they're trying to have a scaled financial planning um, and you know, financial investment management offering for uh, investors, really at, at every level, but focusing on the mass affluent, and they want to work with advisors they offer a segmentation strategy for advisors who are looking to have a solution for smaller clients. And here's a firm that has, you know, invested a lot of capital for for growth, uh, you know, at the, at the clear expense of any short-term profit. Um, you know, I, I think they intend to operate at a sort of um, pro-forma loss because they want to put a lot of technology and scale and processes and systems so that, you know, they can capture uh, a lot of growth uh, in the you know, three to five year time period, which will ultimately bear a lot of fruit uh, for profit if their plan works out correctly.
1: Yep, I, I know Facet Wealth uh, pretty well. Let me, yeah. let me go ahead, Scott. Let me, yeah, let me tackle that question too,
2: because I think it's a uh, the, the question about you know what what should you be focused on, profit or growth. Um, my my simple answer is well both. I mean, I, hmm. I, I early in my career, I had a boss uh, who often said you can't grow your way out of unprofitability, which I think is a really wise statement if you begin to think through what that implies. Uh, that a lot of times I think we, in any business, people turn to trying to figure out how to get some growth, some top line growth when they are struggling to be, when, when they're still not profitable. So the first question I really would ask is, well if you're not profitable yet, why is that? You're just not large enough to cover your fixed costs? Or if you're a larger firm, do you have you know too many people? I mean, let's remember that 70% of the cost structure in the typical RAA are are people. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, how do you benchmark against uh, firms of similar size in terms of of your staffing levels, uh, your compensation, and so on? So why aren't you profitable be really the first question I'd ask, and and then benchmark that. But I would say growth is also pretty critical to the long-term sustainability of the business. And that's why I think it's pretty important to figure that out. Uh, But I would say doing growth uh, to try to get yourself to profitability uh, often is, is not
1: a winning strategy. You gotta figure out why you're not
2: profitable to begin
1: with. Yep. I think that's great. You both did very well with an impossible to answer question, so thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> now here's a, here's a topic we haven't addressed on the podcast. We've, we've written about it on our blog, but with the podcast we're trying to shed light on COOs that are in thriving situations. Uh, within their firms and we're, we're using this forum as an opportunity to gain insight from successful COOs and have them talk about the strategies that they're taking to succeed uh, both personally and professionally. But the sad truth is many times the COO role doesn't work within the RIA community. Um, the article that we had written on our blog was called When Professional Management Fails at RIAs and it gained a lot of uh, gained a lot of attention. We interviewed several COOs for the article, but then we were contacted by many, many more after the article was written, and they were telling us about situations where the owner of the firm said all the right things during the interview process, said, hey, I need to bring somebody in here. I need to get focused on clients and prospects. I need somebody to, in here to, to really run the business for me. Um, but once the COO uh, joined the firm, the owner has a much harder time than anticipated in relinquishing control. And then once the employees realize that that COO, the new COO, the quote, new guy or girl in the office, uh, doesn't really have a lot of authority, things can unravel <laughs> Things can unravel uh, rather quickly. Um, so David, you and I have talked about this phenomenon before. And over the course of your career, you've had a unique view into many RIAs. And I know you've seen this happen. Um, what do you attribute this high failure rate for COOs in our industry to?
0: Sure. <clears throat> you know, and I think I estimate the failure rate to be actually uh, at 50% or higher. And, um, you know, I, I think they're there. I'm going to identify at least three issues. Number one is a failure to um, really do a Fulsome sort of 360-degree review of the team at the advisory firms by the prospective COO, because as you noted, Matt, it's not just about the the, the principal, the CEO, whomever that may be, or the, the the founders and principals, but it's the whole team. And so, really getting the perspectives of the of the entire organization, I think, is key. Um, so that's number one. It's look beyond just the existing leadership, but the folks who make the, the, the firm run day to day. And it's really incumbent upon the prospective COO to do that due diligence, because remember, uh, it's sort of doing the job before you're in the job. Um, second, it's getting clarity in written form with the uh, the founder, the, the founders, the, the the principals on what the role will entail. Uh, third, it's, um, it's actually, you know, spending the first, uh, 90 to 180 days. And this is my view, by the way, this may not be the views of everyone of, of really getting a great understanding of, of how the firm works and where the COO can make an impact. And I I think that that's critical. You have to play for the long game, not the short, short game. And, and many small businesses really aren't set up or designed for that. But I I think it's the first 90 to 100 days is, you know, do a lot of listening and do a lot of absorbing. And and you have to pick your spots quite wisely. And I guess the last thing I'd say, I'd throw in some advice, which is, you know, I had had one of our team members, our our stakeholders here leave uh, to go become a COO. As a matter of fact, in my two and a half years leading this business, there have been no fewer than four folks on the team who have left to become COOs of our firms, which is really a... A, a great, um, you know, confirmation and endorsement of our talent that, you know, our advisory firms are interested in our, our, our people. And I've said, look, your first your first year isn't about any big plays because they've talked to me about they want to go in and make an impact and hear that are big plays. And my advice is no, your first year is about making some small incremental plays so you can set yourself up for future success. So, so Matt, those are my four, you know, areas, and they're really about Doing a lot of due diligence, you know, mutually, uh, the COO and the firm about one another before you start, and it's it's not just about having a good rapport and good set of understandings with the president or the leadership of the firm. You really have to do that up and down all levels to be successful.
1: So Scott, let's. Uh, I'll go to you. What what have you seen in in this uh, in this area?
2: I think David outlined some very key elements of this, too, and, and uh, you know, I, and I've talked even this week with some people who've uh, struggled in, either are struggling in their role as CLO or um, have left an organization. Now, that's not to say that there haven't been people I've talked to who have been very instrumental in turning firms around, because I have, but ultimately, you've got to recognize that, to David's point, that this really is a political position in a lot of ways, and you know, a lot of times in consulting, we talk about there's three types of consulting out there, Um, There's the pair of hands where it's somebody is being told. I just need some help to get something done to implement Let's say a technology uh, Tool but don't don't tell me what I need just 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 put it in place or I need an expert tell me what technology I need, you know, but I don't want to really Consult with you to figure out what we need, but I just need an expert to do it but ultimately what consulting that really creates change that that moves the firm forward has to be much more collaborative and I think that's what David's really talking about here. Um, and if you think about it, uh, there's you know a well-known professor John Cotter from used to teach at Harvard. he has an eight uh, step change management process. A lot of those elements and that's pretty well known, but a lot of those elements are really about you know trying to gain momentum by as David's point, get some incremental wins, celebrate those wins, get people behind it, um, you know, in that listening that you're doing in the first uh, 90 to 100 days, you're looking for what are the problems that not just the leadership uh, struggle with, but what are others in the organization frustrated with? You know, is it something around uh, why they're not growing or is it certain bottlenecks? And can you help solve those and add value and create some wins that get, get political support behind you throughout the organization and then build on that and create more get the flywheel moving and, and build on, on that. Those are the people who are going to be more successful um, at this because they're really recognizing that their role as a change agent isn't to come in and be a bull in a china shop and really shake things up because most organizations, that's not what they're looking for. In fact, for a lot of firms, this is the first time they've really had serious management come into the organization, and that's a big change. So you got to be patient with um, the pace that you're you're allowing this to go and to be more selective in the wins that you want to get. Um, and, and that, and then that way you can really immerse yourself in the DNA of the organization itself and really help, um, take its best qualities and create a more effective organization. That's hard to do.
1: I think that's fantastic advice. We, we talk about it a lot. Um, a lot of people just assume, well, a chief operating officer, I just need a programmer. <laughs> I just need a technology person that's going to sit in the back room and make our tech stack work. And, and I always say, I think 70% of this job, the COO job is HR related and it's how are you interacting with people? And I think that's, that's fantastic advice. In those first 90 days, it's so critical to get a few wins um, just to start building some confidence. Because as I said, kind of in my intro to this question, uh, as soon as you lose the the uh, confidence of the staff, um, they're just they're going to go right over you, and they're going to continue to talk to the founders, the owners, whatever, and and ignore a lot of, of what you're trying to do as that change agent. So I think that's I think that's fantastic.
2: Well, just one last thing I'd add to that too is let's just remember the COO. While it is operations, and you do need to bring technical solutions to problems, ultimately you really it is to your point. It's a people. Problem? How can you engage people in helping you to solve some of those very problems, so that they have more ownership of it? Um, that's how you're going to. You know, you don't have to be the one to, to win it all. You can let other people have the ideas, and they may already know what needs to be fixed, uh, but they don't know how to do it or have the time to do it. And you can be the one to help drive that initiative. That's so great. That's all I wanted to
1: answer. To yep. That. No, that is fantastic. You guys have been really great today. You've added so much value to um, the COO, uh, challenges that everybody's facing. So thank you both David and Scott for being here.
0: Well, well, Matt, thank you. Congratulations on PFI and all your success and also congratulations on your podcast. Um, it's really a value and we, we all appreciate what you're doing. So, so keep it up and we're here to support you. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, Matt,
2: I, I, I appreciate it very much. Um, you guys are doing a great job with this. And I, I would also say just your thought leadership on, on many of your articles, uh, I think, provides some good insight on how to be successful in this, too. So it's been, it's been great to work with you on this. Fantastic. Thanks thank a you. lot. Yeah,
1: thank you. And podcast listeners, thank you for joining us again. Um, if you aren't subscribed yet, you can follow the COO Roundtable. We're on iTunes. We're on Google Play Um, and obviously we post updates at pfiadvisors.com as well. We'll talk to everybody soon.